another episode of East Got Game, an unofficial podcast featuring the NBL One East competition for 2023, where we review, preview and interview our way through the NBL One East. My name's Jacinta from the Central Coast Crusaders and with me, as always, in the hot seat, it's Lockie France. How are you, Lockie? I'm doing great, Squin, although hot is not a way to describe conditions down here. Yeah, true. You are in a hoodie and a beanie. I am. I also have the fan heater on. Me and my dorky poor circulation have got my gloves on. Uh, it's anything. It's, 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 uh, it's freezing. It certainly is. But as the weather cools down, the action heats up in NBL 1 East. Oh, well, there you go. That's the, that's the hot takes that I like to hear. <laughs> How's your weekend? It was a very action-packed weekend. It was a big weekend. A lot of close games. Few underdogs getting up. Uh, really shook up the table. I mean, if all the favourites had won, we'd probably know the top eight in the men by now. But uh, the favourites didn't all win. Yeah, instead, uh, we had some absolute thrill seekers. We had teams with their first wins of the season. And now that we talk about it, I think we've teased it out enough. Why don't you take us through the men's results? I certainly can do that for you, Squin. So... Kicking things off, we had a few Friday night games this week. And first up was Inner West getting a 95-85 win over Norse in a big game that got a long way to deciding second place on the table. Comets got a 95-74 win on the road over Bankstown to keep their season alive. Canberra knocked off Hills 88-65 as they continue to make a charge for the top four. Central Coast backing up nice and early on Saturday, 91-88 over Bankstown. So Bankstown playing at 8pm and then 4pm the next day. 20-hour, probably an 18-hour turnaround between games for the Bruins. And then Newcastle knocking off Penrith, 96-69. Hornsby, their first win of the campaign, first win for their NBL 1 East men's team, getting up 81-79 over Manly and doing it without their main man, Sharif Saipal. Then in an absolute thriller that came down to the final shot, Aubrey Wodonga getting the win 119-117 over the Sutherland Sharks. Not sure about the defense on that one. Maybe it was just excellent offense. Maitland picking up a 105-87 win over Illawarra, leaving the Hawks' season on tenterhooks as Maitland also continued their charge for a top four spot. Then on Sunday, it was AJ Lawton, Squin's main man and the Central Coast Crusaders getting a 104-102 win over the Inner West Bulls. So Inner West still not quite out of reach in that second place chase. Illawarra kept their season alive with a 66-63 win over Newcastle that just brought Newcastle back to the pack a bit. And then Penrith pushed Maitland all the way in a 95-101 loss to Maitland. So... Some of those big-name teams just eking out wins and others falling by the wayside. So if we turn to the ladder, Centre of Excellence, well, they were busy over winning at the uh, NBA Global Academy Games. They still sit 19-1, and one, having played 20 games. Inner West still in a decent position in that hunt for second spot. They've almost got it wrapped up. They just need to take care of things. And 15-4. and four. Maitland now 14-6. and six. In third, Canberra and Norse each 13 and 6 in equal fourth. Not obviously uh, 
just the split there it might come down to. Uh, Sutherland 13 and 7 with that loss to Aubrey Wodonga. So putting their top four hopes in a bit of peril. Hills 11 and 7. They do have a favourable run home though. Then Newcastle 12 and 8. And the chasing pack, Illawarra and Aubrey 10 and 10. And Comets 9 and 10. So those three teams that are just on the outside looking in need to win out and then hope the chips fall their way in the end of season tiebreakers if they're to get over Newcastle or Hills. But it's really at that point where we mentioned in the finals forecast, you don't want to be relying on teams to lose those games to what we call the bankers. But that's where Illawarra and Aubrey Wodonga and Comets find themselves now because Newcastle played Bankstown. You probably expect them to win that. And I think Hills play Hornsby next week. And then they also have, I think, Manly to come as well. So if you're uh, on the outside looking in, you're relying on a lot of results to fall your way if you're going to make finals. Well, yeah, Newcastle men and uh, Maitland actually play each other next round. That's huge as well. Which is massive, um, especially because now that Maitland have, you know, just streamed ahead to third spot, it's a really important game next round against Newcastle for both of those teams, and they play at Newcastle. So it's that crosstown rivalry in enemy lines for uh, for Maitland. And then round 18, just looking at Maitland again, they play Albury in the last round. Newcastle, like you said, play Bankstown in the last round. Inner West in the last round play North. So still a lot to play for. And importantly, I think Newcastle have the season split on Albury and Comets, but don't have it on Illawarra. So if it ended up Newcastle and Illawarra tying at 12 wins apiece with no other teams involved, Illawarra would get that spot. And Illawarra played Gunners in the last round. So they came really close early in the season. That was one of the games that I reviewed. Um, and they play at home, and we did kindly ask Freddie Webb to hurry up and win some games in the last few rounds, considering I tipped them to win the whole thing. Better late than never, I guess. Uh, So, yeah, it's going to be very interesting last round, but if anything for round 16, particularly in the men's competition, just continues to prove that no matter where you are on the ladder in NBA 1 East, there's always going to be very competitive games, whether it's round two, three, and whether it's round, you know, 16 to 18, they're always going to be super competitive. There's always going to be results that are unexpected. Case in point would be for me, uh, Maitland Mustangs, you know, convincing win over Illawarra. Fantastic. And then just scrape by against Penrith. 100%. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's, you know, day to day, things change. Inner West, beat North. And then two days later, they're losing to a Central Coast team playing two days in a row. Who That was only their fourth and fifth win for the season come yeah. round 16. Yeah, without two of their, their standout players in, James Trustum and Aaron Redhead. So it's just so unpredictable. This is why we say don't sleep on the East. Do not sleep on the East because the East got game. You yeah. better take us through the women's results, Squin. Yeah, I shall do that. I shall do that indeed. Um, like you said, it kicked off on a Friday night and the first game of the round was Bankstown Bruins versus Sydney Comets at Bankstown and Bankstown snatching the win there, 77-72. to 72. Uh, Then we headed over to Crow's Nest where the North Bears took on the, a very undermanned inner West Bulls. So without Leilani Mitchell and Michaela Donkins, uh, North winning 116-44. to 44. Bankstown then backed up again. So talking about that turnaround, you know, Bankstown had the 6 p.m. game Friday and then a 2 p.m. game Saturday. So 
straight into the ice bath for them, I'm sure, after their win against Comets. This time they played the Crusaders and also a very understrength Crusaders as illness hit the team. I think they only ended up going to Bankstown with seven players. Uh, so Bankstown winning that one, 83 to 68. Penrith Panthers hosted the Newcastle Falcons and went down 44 to 74. Manly Warringa hosted the Hornsby Karingai Spiders and wiped them out 136 to 45. 136, that has to be the highest score that a team has had this season in the men's or women's competition. I that That's higher than games that have gone to... That's higher than they put up in double OT last week. Correct. And North and Albury. Correct. Uh, Albury, Wodonga and Sutherland Sharks met at the Lauren Jackson Sports Centre in Albury in what, what went down as one of the best games of the season Uh, Both coach Jeremy Jones from Sutherland Sharks and assistant coach Sammy Mack from Albury Wodonga Bandits just saying, uh, just praising the high calibre of the the women's players in that game um, as a real example of how good the NBL One East can be. But Albury went down 94 to 100. Uh, Canberra Nationals hosted the Hills Hornets and they won that game 91 to 40. Maitland Mustangs hosted Illawarra Hawks and got up 69 to 44. Then the Crusaders backed up and host the Inner West Bulls this time and went down fighting 71 to 74. Newcastle Falcons were back at home against Illawarra Hawks and they won 72 to 45. And then the round finished off with the Penrith Panthers hosting Maitland Mustangs 48 to 54. So a real mismatch of... Uh, of games as well, lots of double headers, but lots of people having to play one home and one away. Uh, Illawarra getting the Maitland and Newcastle double header out of the way, um, and then Maitland having to do, you know, one home game and then drive all the way to Penrith the next day. So it's it's kind of like we're shoving it all in just into the last little bit of the season. Yeah, hundred percent. And interesting again, the um the youth league draw again playing havoc with NBL one teams because again. Normally Garland for Sutherland, but that um, Hornsby team that lost by 91, obviously not saying they would have won, but, you know, Kara Bishop, Isabella Zelkowski, Kira Hudson, they're all off playing um, Youth League against Penrith at 6pm, whilst the NBL1 team they usually be playing with is playing at 4pm in Manly. So, you know, it can't be two places at once. That's how these things fall. Yeah, you're right. And I think that's also why the Saturday when the Crusaders women went away to Bankstown, they had illness, but yeah, also youth league commitments because I'm pretty sure they played Sutherland here at Terrigal um, and both teams, you know, are quite up high on the ladder for youth league. So yeah, very important game that they needed to attend. So uh, after round 16, the ladder for MBL1 East women is Manly Warringah Seagulls at 18 and 2 in first place. Newcastle Falcons now in second place with 18 and 2. Norse Bears in third place with 15 and 4. Uh, Centre of Excellence in fourth place uh, in, with 16 and 4. Uh, sorry, 16 and 6. Sutherland Sharks in fifth place at 14 and 6. Maitland Mustangs in sixth place at 13th and 7. Sydney Comets in seventh place with 11 and 8. And rounding out the top eight is Aubrey Wodonga Bandits at 10 and 9. Then we've got the Canberra Nationals and Bankstown Bruins at 9th and 10th, respectively, both on 9 and 10. In terms of percentage, there is quite a, a bit of difference separating them. 
whereas the percentage difference uh, eighth and ninth is 0.2 and between sixth and seventh is 5.0. So that's quite still quite a bit of a difference. That fight for the eighth spot is still on tender hooks. Albury and Canberra play each other next week. I think that's a game that we're going to have to keep an eye on for next round, Lockie. I, I certainly do think that uh, I will uh, might, might have a sneaky uh, live stream of that up while I'm uh, preparing my commentary at uh, Sutherland Basketball Stadium. Because that no. kicks off at 3 and then i got Sutherland at 5pm. So just roll, roll straight into it. <laughs> yeah, and Sutherland are playing Manly as well. So they're going to have a pretty important test. You know, Manly need to win that to stay top. Sutherland need to win to have any chance of top four. But the draw is just so, like, it's so close. Like And, like, Aubrey Wodonga have to play Maitland in the last round. Canberra host Sutherland and then go to Illawarra. Yeah, Bankstown play inner Western Hills. So that would be, you know, two wins. For, if they can get those two wins, they're suddenly right back in with a shot. Yeah, they're definitely probably the least likely of all the teams still in that fight for eighth to get the spot. That, that Albury-Canberra game can just be so... Like, if Canberra win that and they're both sitting on 10 and 10, Albury and Canberra, then Bankstown are right back in the hunt. It's really leaving it to the last minute, isn't it? It really is. And I don't think much, especially on the women's side, maybe a bit more in the men, but definitely on the women's side, I don't think a lot's going to be decided heading into the final round. Mm-mm. Uh, lots of pressure on teams and coaching staff to prepare in a short period of time, I guess, for quarterfinals, but... That's the name of the game and, um, you know, thoughts and prayers with all the people in the competition and that have to decide percentages and placings and things like that. Do not envy that job at all. No, not in the slightest. So amidst all the excitement of round 16, what game did you choose to review in the men's competition this week? Well, I went with a team that's going to make finals, but I think it slipped under the radar a little bit, and that was the Hills Hornets. Uh, so they took, went down to Canberra. So I wanted to take a look at them because uh, they've had wins. You know, they've beaten Maitland, they've beaten Norse, but then they've had some slip-ups, and it does look like they're going to make finals with their run home. Um, you know, If they slipped up from here, they'd uh, probably be uh, regretting it a bit come the end of the season. Watched the uh, game down at Belconnen, finish... Finished 88-65 in Canberra's favour. It took all of 40 seconds before um, Sean Montague found himself injured. So that was a big out. Um, not sure if it happened as he came down or if he collected the door frame at Belconnen Basketball Stadium. You know, at Belconnen at one end, there's the laundry. Yes. And he, and he fell He fell right into... Oh, yes, you would, you would know. I was, Having I spent have, a lot of time at Bell College. I, I have spewed in that laundry uh, when we were doing Caps preseason. Very nice. Well, yeah. yeah, so he fell, and I'm not sure if he collected the door frame or if it happened as he fell, but, uh, yeah, he almost ended up in the laundry there. He went off. He came back on at the end of the first quarter, but he was noticeably limping, and it's unsurprising that he only played nine minutes throughout the contest, and I think he was doing really well just to play, just to get on court for those nine minutes and try to give the team something so that was a bit annoying um because we know how much of a big role he plays what i did like from the hills hornets throughout the game is how good ben kieran's is running the pick and roll finished with 12 and 8 um really good with campbell green but also picking when to take his own shot when ben kieran's is on the court and running that pick and roll it's it's a real go-to for them and they kept going to it regularly um until 
Campbell Green got in a bit of foul trouble, which kind of he, – he was really good as the role man. Um, that was probably when it got stunted a little bit. But that was really good for them. As for Campbell Green, not going to say he won the battle against Glenn Morrison because rarely do players win the battle against Glenn Morrison. But I think it would have gone to the um, judges' scorecards if it had been a boxing match because it was – he did really, really well. He finished with 15 points, three rebounds, two assists. 7 of 11 from the field, most from very close range because he's in that role, rolling to the basket. Morrison finished with 13.7 rebounds and an assist 6 to 15 from the field. We'll get to more on him later. With Montague off, um, and Green was working so well, uh, he got three fouls. I don't know. He only played 20 minutes in the end because of that foul trouble. I think in the situation they were in without Montague, I wouldn't have minded seeing them risk him a little bit more, even with the three fouls. If he stays in and keeps going well, so be it. If he if he fouls, gets a fourth foul, then you know you've rolled the dice. It hasn't come off, but you're probably not in a good position without him anyway. Importantly, he shot seven of eleven from the field. The rest of the team from the field for Hill shot twenty of fifty-seven. So that's only just around thirty-five percent. And Canberra as a team only shot forty-one percent. Um, but when one player is doing so well and then he's in a bit of foul trouble and the rest of the team's not putting the ball in the basket quite so well, doesn't bode well. And turnovers, uh, 17 turnovers for Hills. Um, and some of them just throwing the ball away in the vicinity of players where you probably shouldn't be throwing the pass. If there's a player on that Canberra team you don't want to throw a ball near, you know, even in a situation, even when your player might have the edge, it's Pietro Badalassi because he is going to find a way to steal it. Finished with three steals. Uh, Cam Pender also finished with three steals. Uh, Dalfeed finished with two. They finished up with 11 steals on their 17, re- uh, 17 of the 17 turnovers. Canberra doing a great job of just picking off the ball, disrupting on defense. So if we go... Look at Canberra. That defense where they had all those steals, they finished with seven blocks, um, Tui, Morrison, and Lachlan Smith with two apiece, and Dahl Feig with an absolutely massive block. Situation was absolutely dead in the water for them on defense. It looked like two points for sure. Dahl Feig just chasing back and swatted it away. It went from two points for Hills absolutely guaranteed to Dal Feig saying no in the other, in the blink of an eye. Speaking of Dal Feig, he's starting to look like Dal Feig again. Got to the rack a few times. Um, maybe not quite the same, you know, energy as always, but he's definitely looking a lot better than he did a couple of weeks ago. Finished 15 points, six rebounds, six assists, two steals and a block. Six of six at the line. He was only three of seven from two-point range, but... I just like the way he was actually, uh, he was penetrating a little bit more. Watch out for him in finals. Because we have uh, mentioned in a couple of previous episodes where we feel like coming back from injury, he's still a little bit hesitant to attack on the rim like he used to. We know him for those big poster dunks that he delivered two in a game, wasn't it? Yes. Or at least set up one and, and gave another in that. No, no, no they, were both, they were both his dunks against, against, his... against Frankston. Yeah. Against Frankston at Nationals. Yes. Uh, I'm so, and he did have a great performance last, last week as well. Mm. And now that he's backed it up, and as soon as you said that he had a big block at a really important moment of the game, that also cemented to me. He's back. He's mm. back. He is. And 
You know, I don't want to call him an energy player because he's more than that for them, but he does bring energy. They just had some they had some real hustle on the offensive boards at times and finished up uh, second chance points were 12 to 4. So the uh, offensive rebound numbers were 15-13 in favor of Canberra, but Canberra did a much better job in converting those second chances into points, you know, 12-4. You'd think, you know, even offensive rebounding numbers, maybe even second chance points, but it didn't happen. Didn't make the most of all these steals that they had. The points from turnovers, only nine to six. If you're going to get those turnovers, and especially when they're live ball turnovers. You know, if you have, if you four 17 turnovers, but they're all travels or passes out of bounds and the team the opposition can set up their half-court set well. Yeah, it's not much difference. But if you're getting 11 steals, probably want to be converting a few more of those into uh, into fast break points. Um, Do you happen to remember what part of the game they got most of their steals? Because I remember the game I reviewed a few rounds back, Canberra versus Illawarra, um, and it was also it was a close game. It was a lot closer than what this score line was against Hills. Um, they certainly turned up the defensive intensity, especially in the fourth, and as the game got to the very pointy end. Um, did you notice any kind of patterns? Was it very, was it straight out of the blocks? Was it, it was. It was. Yeah. I, I, I feel like it might have been as I was trying, as Hills was try, trying to adjust to losing to Montague 40, sec, losing Montague 40 seconds in, that Canberra got a sniff, you know, maybe things are like just a step off where Montague usually is or something, you know, things of that caliber where, you know, things are just a little bit off. They try to get into things. And yeah, so there were a few turnovers really early on. That was probably the biggest, um, I think. And late on, where they actually got more of their um, points from turnovers, they got a few as well. But you got to remember, it was a 26 to 12 final quarter for Canberra. So Hills was still in it. And as that margin starts to edge away, you know, you start playing faster, you know, you start taking a little bit rush shots or making rush decisions because there's a certain point where you have to start scoring quickly. And it starts feeling like the game's getting away from you. And that was bore out in the um, in the shooting stats where the fourth quarter for Canberra was their best shooting quarter for both uh, two-point and three-point range. And it was actually Hill's worst for both stats. So as Canberra ratcheted it up, Hills fell away trying to chase the game a bit. But they certainly seem to be focusing a lot more on, on their defensive end and their defensive intensity and getting after the scraps, like you mentioned before, those second chance points sounded really important in this game. How do you think that's going to fare come final if they make finals time? We, we talked about them all season because of their start. You know, they just keep building. And I think if they're a team that can ratchet up the pressure and they're showing they could be in situations where they don't have to ratchet up the pressure in the fourth quarter, they're getting that good. But it's something nobody wants to face. They've got experience. They've got it together. Uh, if it comes down to the fourth quarter, there's not many teams I'd rather have, you know, out there than them, to be honest. But not just doing it, like winning. They've got the winning experience as well. So having that formula that got them a championship, they know that that's working. So they're going to commit to it. And how did they do it in the grand final? In the fourth quarter. Exactly right. That is exactly right. They just turned it up and played with hustle and desperation in that fourth and, yeah, really snatched the win from Maitland in the fourth quarter. You're exactly right. Yeah. So, you know, if, if it's a close one in the fourth, I would, yeah, I would not want to be, yeah, you can't give them a sniff. I mean, that's you probably say that about a lot of teams, but um, there are other teams where you watch, not every week, but some weeks, and they're up by 12, and suddenly it's like, hang on, they're, 
defending with 20 seconds to play, and this could go into OT, and you're wondering, how did this happen? You know, that, that's that's as much about the opposition, you know, turning it up in the fourth, but you've, you've got to go with them. You know, I've been watching the Tour de France all week, and, you know, some guy kicks on the mountain. You've got to chase him, or you're going to lose time. Team kicks in the fourth quarter, and you can't, you can't match it with them. Suddenly they're putting on a 10-0 run and the game's out of your out of your reach. Yeah, don't get left behind. Uh, what is it about Hills that you feel like they need to improve on to ensure they lock a top eight spot heading into finals? I don't really feel like they have a problem locking in a top eight spot because they've got a favourable run home. Well, mm. first of all, they're going to need Sean Montague. Well, firstly, they're the kind of team that can go out and beat Maitland and Norths, but then they're also the kind of team that can go and lose to... Like they've lost to a few teams this season that have been right down the order. That, that's why I'm not 100% on them uh, making finals because, you know, they, they can drop games. They're the kind of team that can hang with a top team for the majority of the contest. Flip side, they're the team that can hang with a top team for only the majority of the contest. Feels like, you know, they have a little slip sometimes. Think back to the game against Sutherland, where Sutherland at Sutherland where Sutherland came over the top in the fourth. Um, Canberra put them away here in the fourth. Uh, they, they just need to get that out of their system. They've got a real opportunity to finish with 14 wins here, and that could sneak you a sixth spot or even a fifth. And suddenly, instead of playing COE or maybe Inner West, you're in a game against... Well, if they play North, they've beaten them already this season. Sutherland, they've proved they can hang with. Could have been a different story with Sean Montague on the court for 40 minutes on the weekend. They can get three wins. I'm not going to say they'll beat COE in the final game of the season. They can pick off those other three games. They can put themselves in a spot where they can get a quarterfinal win. Yeah, you're right, because they've got, of the four games left of the season, Hills have got Hornsby, Bankstown, Manly, and COE. So Mm. they've got the three teams that are below them on the ladder and then the top of the table team. Like, you've got to be expecting to walk away with three wins, one loss in the last two rounds. That's pretty handy. Like like you said, that's a really, really solid run home. But imagine if it was the top four teams now, so COE, Inner West, Maitland, Gunners. Imagine if we went straight into, with that top four, straight into a semifinals weekend. COE and Gunners would have to play each other in one semi and Inner West and Maitland in the other semi. So part of me really wants to see the Gunners and Maitland have a grand final rematch at the semi-final stage. That would be that would be fun. That, that would, would be, be very really fun. fun. Um, so maybe so it's probably a good thing that it's now top eight and that elimination process because Gunners and Maitland will avoid each other. Hopefully, until I think I got that maths right. If they get, I mean, you, is there any point in making final eight predictions at this stage? No, correct. <laughs> we we attempted to, um, <laughs> and literally the next week, it was already blown out of the water. So they're really uh, predictions are fun, and yeah. that's probably the only purpose of it. Pretty much. All but right. moving on, you caught a women's game this week. You uh, had the luxury of being there courtside commentating on it. Yeah, that's correct. I chose to do the Central Coast Crusaders in a West Bulls game this week. Um, while the last couple of weeks we have tried to focus on games uh, with teams that are in finals contentions and perhaps some um, upsets, but I chose to focus on this one because it was two very competitive teams uh, in a sense that, you know, competitive 
still competitive despite their position on the ladder. Um, both teams having WNBL experience, one team having a former Olympian, an Opal. Um, so there's still going to be lots of talent on the court. And the thing for me, perhaps a little bit biased, being the Central Coast Crusader that I am, is that this is the one game that the Crusaders lost in the past that I feel like this is the one team that you guys have got to beat. And they couldn't do it. The Inner West Bulls just found a way to beat the Crusaders again. Uh, so Inner West came with only eight players. Uh, they still had the likes of Domkins and Mitchell, Perich and O'Flynn. Uh, that was four of their starting five, and they had Yamazaki rounding off their starting five. They had Matsumoto, Matsumoto on the bench, uh, Imprezo on the bench, and Thompson. And um, Jolzine Imprezo is still a youngster. Um, I think she's still only like around under 16s, under 18s. And I recently saw on the Inner West Bulls Instagram account that she's been um, given eligibility by FIBA to represent the Philippines, which I think is fantastic. 100%. This game, again, you know, it was Central Coast, it was really theirs for the taking. It was a game where in terms of one-on-one matchups, there were some really exciting matchups. The one that I quite liked the most was Danica Rowe guarding Leilani Mitchell. Um, I mean, Leilani's got to be one of the most difficult people to guard in the league next to the likes of, you know, Loz Nicholson. Um, just in a, in a way that Leilani's able to use her body to her advantage. Being shorter in stature, she certainly doesn't uh, let that be a disadvantage to her game at all. She's very good at drawing fouls, very good at using her body to get around her defender, very good at timing loose balls as well, especially on a loose rebound. So Leilani still had seven rebounds. But this matchup between Rowe and Mitchell was great because Danica can match Leilani in terms of foot speed and um, anticipation and IQ, but Rowe had the advantage of having a little bit more length on Mitchell. So that was a matchup that I thought was quite good and I, I would have liked to have seen more of that. And another matchup that was surprisingly really good was Maddie, Maddie Penn against Michaela Domkins. In a similar way, being able to match on skill set, foot speed and especially length, uh, and Maddie isn't uh, shy of um, getting physical under the basket either, which I think sometimes Domkins needs. You know, Domkins is still leading the, the league in rebounds and especially she had six rebounds in the first quarter and they were all uncontested. A lot of them was like she got, I reckon, four of those six rebounds in the first quarter purely because no one else was going for it and she was. So she was being rewarded for her relentlessness on the boards in that sense, but I really wanted someone to challenge her physically to make at least getting those easy defensive rebounds a lot harder. Um, so the times Maddie Penn played on her, uh, she made catches in the low post, a lot more difficult for Michaela, um, contesting the boards a lot more difficult. So I really liked that matchup too. You know, Rach Mayapar, she matched up on Michaela sometimes, but I think um, Michaela had the edge over Rach, especially from the high post in terms of guarding um, the drives one-on-one. Would have liked to have seen a little bit more of Nicole Hutchins in the game. Crusaders decided to go with something a, a bit smaller and a bit quicker against the Inner West Bulls. But the highlights for me for Inner West was definitely the two-man game between Mitchell and Domkins. Oh, my gosh. That was something 
They need to like chop up those highlights and use them as educational tools for when you go to your SPP camps and your state camps and you're learning the pick and roll. These are perfect examples. Maybe even like maybe even two skills of an example if you're going to teach it to juniors just because the way that Leilani is able to read the defense so quickly off a pick and roll and her placement of a pass, there were lots of situations where Leilani wouldn't necessarily uh, place the ball directly into Michaela's hands off the roll. She would place it in a position and force Michaela to go and catch it. And that's like the, that's that really kind of high class, you know, WNBA or WNBA kind of caliber skill set that was really nice to see. But obviously those two having a fam- having a life and a family together off court meant that their chemistry on court is very going to be very hard to beat because it's almost like they got this telepathic communication. And they ended up playing the whole game. They played 40 minutes each. Michaela ended up with 20 points, 20 rebounds and five assists. Um she was only one from seven from the three-point line, and I only make a point of that because I know that she'll be a bit annoyed with herself. But I'm here to tell you, Michaela, don't be annoyed with yourself. <laughs> they were all contested three-pointers. Leilani ended up with 31 points, seven rebounds, and seven assists, um, and she shot six from 12 from the three-point line. And again, most of them were all over a hand. Like some of them, I don't even know how she physically able was able to get them over the defender's hand because it was normally a, a long, lanky arm in her face. But there she goes. She was making them. Uh, got to the free throw line eight times and made seven from eight as well. But I think, you know, like for Inner West as well, Abby O'Flynn has come a long way this season. Uh, probably has a, lot, a bit to go to improve her offensive skill set to be a bit more of a threat and a bit more of an option for the Inner West Bulls. But defensively, she that's where she's at. She can really lock down some guards. She was giving Jazz Forkadilla a hard time a lot when Jazz was at, wanted to go one-on-one from the top. So Abby O'Flynn is, uh, certainly could be a defensive specialist up there with like Taryn Marnie. Probably not as versatile on defense as Taryn, given that Talon's got the height and the length. But no, O'Flynn did a great job on the one t- in, in defense and she ended up snatching seven boards too. She was taking the right shots when she was open. There was a couple of possessions where Inner West Bulls, their half-court ball movement has improved heaps this season. That was probably some of the best that I've seen this game. And Abby O'Flynn found herself with good opportunities to take a couple of open threes, not making it this time, but the fact she was making the right decision is the most important thing. Abby O'Flynn, I, I remember even when like in previous seasons when Inner West were getting beaten by 70-80, she'd still come away with three or four steals because... She just reads that pass. If she's defending like anywhere near the top of the arc and you try to throw it, like just swing it around the horn, it's liable to end in a fast break layout for Abby O'Flynn. She's so good at picking them off. Yeah, she got. Th- she actually had three steals this game as well. The other thing, actually, now you mentioned um, grabbing a steal and going on transition, Inner West did a much better job than Crusaders of trying to capitalize on a transition bucket. Yeah, in a- I mean, they only had five points from turnovers but the fact that when they took their opportunities mostly probably on stops rather than turnovers to try and get a transition bucket that worked really well for them and they probably only kicked that into gear I think like third quarter and when they started to realize actually this is working really well for us they kept at it they either got a layup or two or they got to the foul line so um, I'm glad that they were able to recognize that quite quickly and adapt quite quickly but as for the Crusaders 
Yeah, like I said, it was really theirs for the taking. They had a much bigger squad than they did the night before against uh, Bankstown. In terms of most of the time, in terms of one-on-one contests, the Crusaders would have had the edge. Uh, They had plenty of scoring opportunities, uh, whether it be just off a ball reversal and a drive, nice drive and dish. Um, really a lot, like lots of opportunities to get shots under the basket, uh, like po- lots of opportunities to get points in the paint. And they just missed. They missed so many layups. That's really all it came down to. They were 27 from 79. A lot of them were missed layups. Some of the layups were missed at really important times of the game, but games should never come down to a single layup. I think there were a lot of times too where the Crusaders were trying to focus too much on drawing contact when they were uh, making a play rather than just making the play, focusing on making the shot and then dealing with whatever contact comes their way. Um, I think we get a bit too sucked into that and we end up not getting fouls called and then missing too many layups as well. But the Crusaders kind of, because they had so many one-on-one scoring opportunities, fair enough you try and exploit that, but when it's not working, you need to go back to what traditionally works for you And throughout the whole season for the Crusaders, that's been um, half-court offense where it's just absolute fundamentals. Ball goes around the horn, ball goes in, ball goes out, ball gets penetrated, ball goes to a receiver, and we're off to the races. That is their bread and butter. And when they do that well, because all of them can score from anywhere, they can be really, really deadly. But too, too often do they deviate from what works for them and too often do they try and play a little bit too much hero ball and that ultimately was their downfall in this game. In terms of turnovers, though, 13 turnovers to Crusaders, only 11 for Inner West, so that was really good. Foul count was 18 to 13. You know, that was fairly standard. Some stat lines for Crusaders. Jazz Forkadilla ended up with 16 3 6 Uh, 16 points, three rebounds, six assists, three steals. Danica ended up with 15 points, seven rebounds. And Maddie Penn ended up with 11 points, 11 rebounds. Yeah, Hutch only getting just under 14 minutes and she had six and six. Kayla Miller, I really like. You know, last season she sometimes took a starting role. She's been coming a lot more off the bench and she looks like she's actually enjoying herself a lot more. She had nine and two and two assists in just under 18 minutes. But there was a time, especially in that third quarter, where the Crusaders had opportunity just to put the accelerator on. And what we needed was a bit of grit. We needed people to jump on the loose balls, to shake some of those rebounds out, um, just to make some gutsy plays. And I really like how Michaela Miller does that. And she started, I think, the fourth quarter and did just that. And we were in a really good position. And then she got subbed off. And didn't come back on. So it was a bit disappointing because I felt like that's what kind of got Crusaders back in the game. Um, but anyway, that's just how it goes. In terms of like the analysis, nothing really too outstanding. The Inner West Bulls and both the Crusaders, you know, had their best shooting quarters in the second. I mean, the, the biggest lead by either team was seven and six. So it was really quite close all game. There was definitely momentum shifts like there is with every game. But neither team really asserted their dominance for big periods of the game, probably up until the closing minutes where the inner West Bulls just looked like they were a little bit more control based on their decision-making was a little bit better. But otherwise, in terms of being the last home game for the Crusaders, we had 
massive crowd. I think we had a lot of Inner West Bulls supporters that made the trip. So thank you to those that came because it certainly created a really great atmosphere. Um, shout out to Matt McQuaid as well who made the trip and we got to have a bit of a chat to him before the game started. Um, also shout out to Courtside Kaz from First Sub. She made the trip too. But in terms of the actual game day, despite the result for the women, it was awesome. Uh, it was a great way to finish off the season on the home court. Being a Central Coast person, um, looking towards next season and I guess the junior pathways and you know the youth league team, a Central Coast, you know, on the on the upward trajectory. Do you think we ha- certainly have potential to be on the upward trajectory? I think it will be. It will depend who's going to return to play next season from this existing team. I know that Maddie Penn won't won't be returning because she's already moved to Canberra. I think we've certainly got a lot of emerging talent coming through, especially through our youth league program. You know, we've already got uh, Sammy McCubbin. She plays youth league, um, and she's already um, on the bench for the NBL one team. Bronte Moore as well. Um, I know in our youth league team we've got the likes of Lucy Cork and then we've got a lot of local girls like Holly Handley and Kushla. Wonderful players. They've all got excellent attitudes. I've coached them before. I've played, you know, scrimmages beside them. In terms of culture and camaraderie, we certainly have a lot of great talent coming through. We just need to refine our basketball IQ and I think maturity in decision-making for us to maintain to be competitive. So what's been really great actually for our women's program is that a lot of the youth league girls have been training with the NBL one team, even though they had no intention or to suit up. And that was all on their own initiative to improve their game really and to keep learning. So if that's the attitude they're having, you know, pretty fresh out of 18s, um, already thinking so far ahead of, yeah, I want to get better. So I'm going to go and train with the best. I think that's fantastic. Just yeah, just got to tweak those things of yeah decision making, um, shoot like shooting percentages uh, and IQ, which I know sounds like a tall order, but considering the likes of Holly Hanley, who's you know a, a one or two kind of guard, she's already taken this opportunity to learn from great people like Danica, Jasmine, even Katie Bailey. Katie Bailey and uh, Emma Bailey are unfortunately both injured, so didn't play this game. Um, and they're still relatively young and fresh into their NBL one careers too. So as long as we can stick together as a big squad and keep that pathway open, have the younger players, but you have the opportunity to learn from the older players, I think our women's program is looking pretty good. Because uh, we were talking offline about how there was a good eight, nine years where the Crusaders didn't have a women's team. And it was the worst possible time for us not to have a women's team because it was the, it meant the likes of Jazz Falkadilla and Danica and that very talented women's um, age group that we had. They would finish youth league or 18s and not have a semi-professional pathway. They had to go to Newcastle. That's why Danica played at Hornsby for so long. Um, it's because we couldn't provide at home. So we need to make sure that we keep uh, a team around. 100%. Yeah, there's, I still remember like, when Illawarra were in the doldrums and like players like Loz Sparks, they just keep coming back just to make sure Illawarra could have a team for as long as possible because they knew that once the team, you know, was gone, it would be so hard to bring it back. And then when they did bring it back, I, Illawarra, I mean, they're helped by their location, you know, being the only team in Wollongong, but 
they were solid last year. It's not been as good this year. But like them having a solid team so quickly after dropping their women's team is probably an anomaly in this situation. And especially a club like Illawarra, who growing up as a junior, that's the one country team I did not want to play because they'd always be so competitive, especially in their women's program. They had such a good run of having very talented athletes come out of that program. And it's obviously with the men too, with the likes of, you know, Xavier Cooks, Angus Glover being the poster boys for Illawarra basketball, Lockie Dent. Yeah, it's a real shame when that happens. Um, Do you remember though, years ago, I think this is before I even got back into playing. I think this is kind of what sparked me to get back into playing when Illawarra made the finals for Waratah and in their team was the likes of Rach Watman, now Lish, uh, Renee and Liv White all on the same team. Yeah, I do remember that game. I remember that very, very well indeed. They played Newcastle in the grand final and um, Newcastle got up. I think that was the te- Newcastle team. Was that the Newcastle team that had um, had Shannon Novacell come over and play centre? Yes, it them? was that team. Yes. That was a very good Newcastle team. Um, yeah, I do remember that Illawarra team very, very well. That was a very fun season. It's always a fun season at Waratah League. What am I talking about? That was a really great final. That was held at Terrigal, actually. And I think it was literally the next year where I started to play again because I was like, yeah, if they, those guys that can do it and they're playing well, I need to get my butt into gear. Um, but, yeah, that was essentially the game. Um, but it was still relative. It was still competitive. It was still some great moments of basketball to watch regardless of who you were going for um crusaders now have illawarra next week for the first and only time in the comp and yeah in the west i think like we said have they have bankstown so hopefully they can snatch in another win because they came close to bankstown last time all right lucky we've come to the part of the episode where it's time for some news and gossip what have you got for us this week I think uh, WNBL fans will already know this, but uh, Canberra Nationals superstar Lizzie Tonks is uh, heading over to Adelaide. I think there's a link there between Canberra and Adelaide. Uh, Of course, Nat Nat Hurst, head coach over at the Adelaide Lightning, taking Lizzie Tonks over there with her. That's uh, some big news. Also in just one that came to mind, uh, former Canberra gunner Akech Alir, now playing over in Central, got uh, a spot as a 36ers development player. Congratulations to Akech Alir. Miss him in NBL 1 East, but he's obviously uh, flying over there in Central. Yeah, and I didn't realise that his brother plays AFL. Yes, so I think his brother brother played for Sydney and I don't know if he still plays for Port. He might play for Port Adelaide still. I'm not really up on my AFL, unfortunately. If you're wondering where the men's COE team have been these last few weeks, they've been over at the NBA Global Academy Games going undefeated. Ben Henshaw, of course, getting plenty of praise. But uh, Johnny Furphy, the big standout, apparently. I haven't been able to watch, but uh, yeah, apparently, yeah, undefeated. And, yeah, he's getting uh, some big schools apparently very interested in uh, Johnny Furphy. Did they name what schools in particular had shown have, interest? No, no. It's, uh, I don't think they're at that stage yet where there are, uh, you know, leaking names and offers. But apparently uh, some uh, big, some high major schools have been very interested in him this week. So, And do you know much about who they played in that tournament? It's all the other, like, NBA academies. So um, 
think NBA Africa Academy sent a couple of teams. The NBA Global Academy down in Canberra that's separate to COE sent a team, which also had a couple of the other COE guys. So they sent, they split, you know, some of the other COE guys filled out that NBA Global Academy team. I think the Latin America Academy. So, yeah, just a bunch of all the NBA Global Academies. <laughs> I love seeing all these new pathways that have developed over the years. Like this Global Academy was a great idea and then they've set up the different uh, Basketball Without Borders camps all over the world in the different conferences, especially now that it aligns with how FIBA are now doing it. Like they've changed that um, format over the years as well to qualify for the World Cup, how you've got the five different cups. We're not Oceania or whatever we're all called before. Um, now we're all under Asia Cup. Um and I, I like how they're kind of all aligned with each other. I love how there's this international development and perspective on um, elite development all over the world. It's it's a really exciting time for basketball. It certainly is, yeah. I mean, yeah, they've really locked into the fact that basketball is a global game, you know. It's, you know and, you know, want to give young players from around the world the best pathway because at the end of the day, every player at the start of their journey is, you know, aiming for the NBA. So the NBA can provide pathways to get the best players there. You know, you don't want some player who's extremely skilled, but maybe he comes from, you know, a poor socioeconomic background or, or a country where there aren't that many, you know, opportunities to be left behind simply because, you know, out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. Like um, even someone mentioned on Twitter about the Indigenous Basketball League and their understanding was that it was rather than promoting um, – and an alternative pathway and increasing accessibility to basketball for those who may not have access to it, whether it be because of socioeconomic status or because of geographical location, the Indigenous Basketball League could bring basketball to them instead. And I think someone online thought that perhaps that had a different intention, but it was something created by Patty Mills with the, the good intention of bringing basketball to the people and trying to close that gap a little bit. So um, in the same vein as basketball, uh, Global Academy and Basketball Without Borders, going to Latin America, going to Asia, going to, to Africa. Um, I, I really like that idea of bringing basketball to people rather than having relying on people to, to come to basketball because it is a, it's a pretty expensive sport. Like it, it really isn't sustainable for everyone. No, definitely not. I think that's just um, elite junior sport in general is just trending that way. But uh, otherwise, let's get stuck into the All-Star 5. I imagine, as we say every week, you would have had quite a task trying to whittle it down to five for the men's comp. Uh, it was all bar one player in my All-Star 5 scored at least 37 points in a game. What? How often do you ever get to say that for a little <laughs> ever? Yeah, so that's where we stand. So we'll start off with... I, I also want to shout out um, just one player, just particularly... Um, it was just the fact that they lost and another team won that he couldn't get in. But Matt Eldridge put up a big 35-15 and 15 in Manly's loss to Hornsby. Uh, there were other big performances, but that was the best. But I had to go with um, a player in a big win over a player in a loss, unfortunately. We'll kick it off with the one player in the All-Star 5 who didn't score 37 in a game, and that's Noah Pagotto of Illawarra who had 31 points, 10 rebounds, and an assist against in the loss to Maitland, and then followed that up with 25 points and 12 rebounds in a 66-63 win over Newcastle. So if he's seen 66 points, he scored 25. Pretty good work by Noah Pagotto. You know we love Noah Pagotto here. 
I'm gonna. Can we take partial credit for his great performance in round sixteen that we get because we gave him a shout out last episode? A hundred percent. Okay, moving on. We have Blake Morrow of Inner West. He had twenty three point six rebounds and seven assists in the win over North, and then. 37 points, 9 rebounds, and 2 assists in the loss to Central Coast, 104-102. And speaking of 37 points in the Central Coast in a West game, we have your boy, AJ Lawton. 25 points, 3 rebounds, 5 assists, and 2 steals in the win over Bankstown. And followed that up with 37 points, 4 rebounds, 6 assists, and 6 steals in a 104-102 win over Inner West. And now the man who got his team over the line in a nail-biter, Lockie Cummings, 30, for all Wodonga, 38 points, four rebounds, three assists in a 119-117 to 117 win over Sutherland that more or less kept Aubrey Wodonga's season alive and they only just got away with the win in that one. And finally... Will Cranston Lount of Maitland putting up 38 points, four rebounds, four assists, and a couple of steals in the win over Illawarra. And then 27 points, two rebounds, five assists, and another two steals in a 101-95 win over Penrith as they look to secure a top four berth. So plenty of scoring with a little bit of other things added in this week. Every week we always struggle to decide an all-star five. Uh, we still do the job, but it's challenging. So I'm just starting to imagine how challenging it's going to be to pick the end-of-season awards for NBL One East. Not us as predictions, based on the votes game to game. Yeah. Um, it's I, like, you know, you got your 3-2-1 and, like, you know, I, I imagine if you do a 3-2-1 for that Central Coast in a West game, Lawton gets the three, Morrow gets the two. That two for Morrow is worth a three in 90% of other games. That's, it was so unprecedented that you have both point guards doing uh, racking up 37 points. And when I spoke to Blake Morrow and CB at the end of the game, Morrow was actually surprised that he had 37 points. He genuinely didn't have any idea that he had 37. And I said, no, you and AJ had both had 37. And he said, well, AJ's 37 was allowed 37. <laughs> compared to mine. Morrow got to the line, free throw line 17 times, so you're already on track for yeah, a pretty big, big night out. Yeah. <laughs> big night. Who have we got in the women's this week? Because I looked at some of the box scores and I think you had a pretty tough job as well. Yeah, I really did. And I had to make a couple of late changes given that we had, you know, a couple games yesterday. Um, so honourable mention to Izzy Bourne from the Canberra Nationals who had 24 points and 11 rebounds. Um but I'm going to kick off my All-Star 5 with another triple-double from Michaela Pivich. Now, that's two triple-doubles bu- uh, two weeks in a row, right? Yes. Uh, so in that epic clash against Sutherland Sharks, she had 15 points, 11 rebounds, and 14 assists and four steals for good measure. So, yeah, her second – is that her second or third triple-double for the season? I think it might be a third, third. of the season. It's definitely two in a row, and – Actually, after the game, Maddie Norris texted me about playing against Michaela Pivik, so she definitely uh, left her mark on that game. Yeah, another person that you'd love to have on your team, but you'd just dread having to play again. Well, and then from the same game, I had Loz Nicholson bringing those rose gold vibes into this game 
straight off the Asia Cup. She had 39 points, nine rebounds and six assists and three steals. She shot overall at 67% and word has it that she was 10 from 11 by halftime. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, I was actually keeping an eye on the stats on my way home from somewhere. Yeah, I think that, that does sound right. Sammy Mack, that's your, that was his hot tip on the text line. <laughs> uh, then I also had Mallory Bates actually from the same game, 28 points and 10 rebounds. Then I had Violet Capri Morrow with 27 points and 17 rebounds. And then the, with a late addition to the All-Star 5 was Leilani Mitchell with 31 points, 7 rebounds, 7 assists and 2 steals against the Crusaders. Uh, and like I said earlier, that included 50% from the three-point line with 6 from 12. Um, but, yeah, that was my All-Star 5 for this week. I would love to see Michaela Pivic again with a triple-double next week. Thank you. Just a tall order for you, Michaela. <laughs> Is it a tall order for Michaela, though? Yeah, that's just been on the reg. But uh, you mentioned uh, Capri Morrow. I sure did. I sure did. Looks like she's back in form uh, after a little bit of a time off with injury, doing the goods for Bankstown. Yeah, we might uh, hear more about her very soon. Yeah, I think we may. We may have to hear about her very soon. But uh, let's have a break and see who we've got for our interview just around the corner. Uh, We are back with our interview portion of the episode and our guest this week comes all the way from Tacoma in Washington State. They were a standout for Eastern Washington University in the Big Sky Conference, ending their career as seventh all-time leading scorer and as part of the all-academic team in their senior year for the same conference. Before coming to Australia, they also spent three seasons in Iceland and somehow found themselves down at the opposite end of the world with us here in NBL One East. It is Violet Capri Morrow. Hi, how you going, Cappy? I'm going well. How are you? Very good, thank you. Recovering from a big weekend of NBL One East, as I'm sure you are as well. Yes, I'm just happy to be back on a winning streak. <laughs> um, so we're going to kick off from the very start. Uh, I did a bit of Googling about Tacoma when I was doing some research for today and it looks like a stunning place to live. Can you tell us a little more about what it was like growing up there? It's my favorite place to be, but I don't like to be home for too long. I'm, I'm always on the move. I always like to be going somewhere, doing something. So I'm always just bouncing around and I found myself in Iceland for the last few years. So yeah. Um, but it's a it's a big city and it's nice to like just go out and look at stuff. You know, we have beaches, we have the woods and we have the city part. So it's nice to just go somewhere and see something different every time you step outside. And it's nice because my family's there and it's easy to just get, you know, bounce around from house to house to see everyone. And uh, tell us about how your basketball journey started in Tacoma. It all started in Metro Parks. In Tacoma when I was eight years old, um, my mom, she put me and all my nephews in sports. She put us in everything she could sign us up for when we were really young. We were eight and I think five at the time. And basketball just stuck for all of us and the rest was history. (laughs) I ran track and I was a star athlete running track and I have a few um, state medals for throughout high school. And then I ran cross country. I played soccer for a bit. 
um, and softball for a little bit, but basketball was that was the top. That was number one. It actually did running cross country. Well, cross country was right before the basketball season in high school, so I would run cross country to get in shape, and then I'd go straight into basketball season, straight from basketball to track. So it all like you know fed off of each other, which helped me just stay in shape the whole year. You know, I was always running, whether it was on the court, the field, the track, whatever it may be. So, yeah. What was it about basketball that made you decide to stick with that sport, given that you were a a multi-talented athlete? Um, I got a scholarship, a full-ride scholarship to play basketball, Division I. So I was like, okay, this might be it. This works. <laughs> Given that basketball essentially then chose you, did you have any basketball idols growing up that you aspired to be like? Well, I didn't actually, I didn't have any idols because I didn't really watch basketball until I got older, which sounds really bad. But when I got older, <laughs> when I got older, I did like start realizing like, okay, I should watch these people, you know, to elevate my own game. And when I was younger, Sue Bird was my favorite, but as I got older, like, I mean, even out of college, Arike Agumbawale, she's like my favorite now. So she's at the top of my list. Um, The further I got into my criminal justice degree, I wanted to learn more about the kids. So I wanted to start my focus or focus more towards children and, um, you know, keeping them out of the criminal justice system. So after basketball, I want to work with kids and like troubled youth to help them stay out of trouble. Do you have any, do you have any roles in mind that uh, you feel like you'll be, be good at in that sense? Was it like a social worker role or maybe you can even use basketball to, um, as a vehicle to help kids to stay on a good path too. I mean, like social work and like um, coaching even, you know, coaching basketball or even track or any other sports just to keep kids, you know, in line, staying on a straight and narrow path. My mom, she kept us all in sports just so we wouldn't be, you know, doing the wrong things and you know, having all that extra time to do other things. So if I can help in any kind of way, especially with basketball, I'll do it. Do any coaching at Bankstown at the moment? I do. I coach at the schools and even at Bankstown almost five days a week. Every every import we've talked to has mentioned how much they love coach, coaching the kids, whether it's been we're talking to them in an interview or just talking to them in general. Oh, the kids see me a lot and it's really fun. <laughs> they're so funny. They're so goofy, but they're always so after college, you went to Iceland. Um, can you tell us something about basketball in Iceland, how it compares to, you know, playing in Australia? Playing here, it's a lot faster and the competition's a lot better. I love playing here. It's just everything is just ramped up a whole lot. And, um, you know, I was playing there for a while and I think I just ran my course over there and I got the opportunity to come here and I love it. I just love it. I'd like to get my foot in the door in a WNBL game or a WNBL team, if anyone's listening. Um, 
just to see if I can hang with those girls. So the season in Iceland, do they play that during summer or winter over there? I guess it's pretty cold all the year round, but it's um it's their winter, so your guys' is summer. So they play from I think September to March, April ish. I think I missed two summers coming straight from there to here. Okay, so so what's the lifestyle like? It's crazy. It's scary. Just there's always usually it's always raining and it's always windy and sometimes there's snow there's more rain than anything and there's more wind than snow and it's just cold it's like bone chilling cold <laughs> so i get i guess when you when you are in iceland in a winter what, what do you do outside of basketball so i would i lived downtown for my last two years like downtown Reykjavik so i got to just either take a walk or take a drive and i'd be in the city city center and there was just people always down there, always doing something. There's, you know, there's restaurants and there's tour attractions and just people outside. I don't know why they'd stay outside so long because it was so cold. But there'd be there'd always be people out just, you know, just outside. And then I would do hair when I was bored. I'd, I'd do braids and twists and all that. And I would do that when I was, when I had people that needed their hair done. <laughs> Did you get an opportunity to travel throughout Europe and other parts of Iceland while you were playing there? I did get to travel Iceland. I, I may have done the whole island. I went from one end all the way to the other. And whether it was with the team or just with my family, they came to visit. So that was nice just to be, be able to get to, you know, road trip and see, you know, the waterfalls and there's a staircase with like a thousand stairs. You climb up to the top and there's another waterfall up there. And, you know, just, it's just pretty. When the, when the sun's out, it's beautiful. But when it's rainy and foggy outside, it's kind of scary. <laughs> but I also was in Croatia for a bit and that was beautiful. It was beautiful there. Um, the weather was, it was actually closer to Australian weather and your guys' winter. So it wasn't too bad. It was nice. Were there other uh, any other highlights of traveling Iceland? Like, did you spend time in the capital in Reykjavik very much? And uh, did you get to eat much of the local food? I did get to spend a lot of time in the city center in Reykjavik. Um, I lived right about five minutes away from the city, just just downtown, and um, and the food is scary. They would give you goat heads and sharks and I wouldn't eat it because I was scared, (laughs) but I did smell it and it was not a nice smell and it was not a pretty sight, but I just observed. I did not try it. I was scared. Did you get to scout any other places in Europe where you might want to uh, play in the future? I hadn't gotten to travel to many other places besides like Croatia and Iceland, but I would like to go to maybe France one day and I want to see Greece. If I could play there, I would. It's just, I only hear great things about it and it's just a pretty place, beautiful place to be. But you're here in NBL1 now, averaging the best part of a double-double per game, 23 and 9. Um, what what expectations did you get from um, Coach Valance before the season? He didn't he was just kind of like, this is a new team. Like, there's no pressure on you to 
you know, like even go make it to playoffs. It was just like, this is a new team. It's a bunch of young girls. Let's just get their feet wet. You know, let them get to see what the NBL one is like. And then I came in and everyone was just like, wow, okay, she can play. Now let's see what we can do. And I was like, okay, we got these two imports. Okay, let's do something now. What, what's next? What can we do? What else can we accomplish by the end of the season? Do you feel like the team has uh, exceeded their own expectations for the season, given it was a young team? I think, I think so. I think everyone is just, I think it's opened their eyes to what they can do, like, you know, going forward. You know, this is just the starting point. This is the base. We can only go up from here. Um, and I think, I think they've gotten a good taste of the NBA one. And they should be ready for, you know, next season, you know, starting now. And how about you? Had had you heard of NBL One before you got here? I actually did, but I didn't know it was as big as it was. So I've, I've had a few friends play in the NBL One. I've had, I have a couple of friends in the West, one, a few friends in the West, and then one was in the Central last season. And yeah, I've just... Nobody in the East yet. This is my first. Everyone I know in the East is right around here. But my friends from back home played. They play in the West and then in the Central now. Or last season. One was last season and the other ones I know. Because you played with a couple of Aussies in college with Jess McDowell-White and Brittany Clayman. I forgot about her. She's in the, yeah, Jess and Bella. They are both playing together. I love that. They're in the North playing together. I was so happy when I seen that. <laughs> and I had another old teammate, Ashley Payne. She was in Perth. So I had a few, I have a few other teammates here with me. I didn't have any expectations. I just wanted to play. And I guess I came and played <laughs> and I've been playing, you know, um, but I'm just, I'm glad I could like fit well in the style of play here and even in Bankstown and be able to compete with these other teams. And, and you mentioned um, wanting to get into a WNBL team. Um, you know, here you get the chance to go up against some players who already are playing in the WNBL. So I guess if you can do well against them, you're showing all those WNBL coaches, you know, you can do, you can play at this level. Mm -hmm. I agree. I just need one of them to see me. Uh, you're averaging 23 points and 9.6 rebounds for the season, um, which is great numbers. Uh, but are you personally happy with your performance this season? I am not upset about it. I'm happy. I've been playing as well as, I have been, you know, I can only go up from here. So that has the, have you, has the team discussed, you know, making the playoffs, you know, or are you just going to try and keep winning? I'm going to definitely try and keep winning. Um, and we kind of talk about it a little bit. Nobody really wants to get into it too much, but it's definitely floating around in everyone's head. Is there any parts of your game uh, that you have learned about while you've played in NBL One East and any parts of your game that you'd like to continue to improve? 
coming from Iceland, I don't have to do it by myself. In Iceland, it was a lot of like, you have to do everything as the American, as the import, you have to do everything. So here I've learned like, oh, I can play with other people. I have help, I have like, you know, I can pass to my teammate and she's gonna knock down the shot. My teammate's gonna pass to me and I'm gonna knock down the shot. So I've just had to learn, or I've learned that, okay, I can play with other people. And then I'd like to improve on just relaxing, I guess. I know I look, I just heard yesterday that I play really relaxed. In my head, there's a whole bunch of things going on in there, but I guess I don't show it, but I just need to chill in my head, I guess. Bankstown, like you said, is a team that's new to MBL one East. And in the previous competition, they didn't have any imports. Uh, so you're probably you yourself and Brittany are probably the first imports they've had. But how did you actually find your way to Bankstown? I just got a call. I said, "Hey, do you want to go play in Australia?" And I said, "Yes, I'd love to go play there." And I actually got a call. I can't remember the team, but a team had called or they wanted me to come play in Australia in the NBA one last season. But I just, at that point, I just wanted to go home. So I was like, no, I'm not going to play. I'm going to go home. And then at the end of this season in Iceland, they called and they were like, oh, you know, and a different Bankstown called and they said that they wanted to bring me in. And I said, yes, of course, sign me up. It really feels like um, all the imports around the league, um, men and women have really been, you know, banding together and supporting each other this year. Um you know, is that helping you having those like fellow Americans, you know, around as friends while you're here? It's really nice to be able to have other people that you, you know, are, can relate to, like, you know, being away from home and, you know, just not being, you know, I wouldn't say not being comfortable, but just, you know, we're all in a foreign country and it's nice to just say, hey, you want to come over and watch a movie? You know, just it's nice to have that around like me and Brittany. All day, we're just back and forth in each other's rooms, just back and forth, just because we're not doing anything. We'll just be like, hey, you want to watch this show together? Or even like other friends and other on other teams, they're like, hey, what are you doing? You want to go to the movies or you want to go to the beach? You know, just stuff to get out of the house instead of being stuck inside all day. And I guess like you're all here in Sydney, you know, all your other teammates, they've seen everything in Sydney before, whereas you guys, you all want to get out and see and see the city you're in. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> what have been some of the tourist highlights of Sydney so far you've experienced? I actually went to the Opera House today. I know I've been to a couple beaches and I got attacked by a bird. Do you remember what bird it was? Was it a seagull or a magpie? It was a seagull. He yelled at me before he attacked and then he attacked and I ran. Were you perhaps eating on the beach and, and attacked you for food? Yes, I was eating fish and chips. And I had it in my hand. He came and yelled at me. Next thing I know, he's like bouncing off of my hand. Knocked the food out of my hand and I took off the other direction. I was scared. That's a hard lesson to learn while you're here in Australia with uh, eating on food on the beach sounds appealing, but the seagulls will always defend their territory and try and go after what you have. Is there anything in Australia that you'd like to do before you go back home, like uh, visit Taronga Zoo or... Um, do some scuba diving or anything like that? Um, I want to go feed a kangaroo. I want to go to the, I haven't been to the Bondi Beach. So I want to go there when it's warmer. 
So hopefully I'll come back a little bit sooner. And yeah, I just, I like to travel. So I like to like do the touristy stuff. I just haven't done much this year. Well, if you need a good place to go uh, feed a kangaroo down here on the central coast, which is only an hour and a half from where you are, um, there's the Australian Reptile Park. And you've got kangaroos walking around that you can feed. They've got koalas, snakes, goannas, uh, Komodo dragons. We've got everything down here. And um, speaking of, you know, eating fish and chips on the beach, which is a typical Australian thing to do, I've seen on some of your social media posts that you're a bit of a self-confessed foodie. Uh, So what are some of the local Australian snacks and foods that you've tried since you've been here? I haven't, no, I've eaten a lot of food. I've had Lebanese food. um, And when the Ramadan markets were going on, I was up and down the streets just trying everything, everything. What I don't really like is chicken salt. It's not my favorite thing in the world. I can get a tiny bit of it, but nothing more than that. (laughs) And a lot of the food that I post, my roommate, Brittany, my wonderful roommate, Brittany, she, she's just a chef. She'll, she chefs up anything. And a lot of my posts are what she's made. Have you tried Vegemite? I haven't, but I just bought some today to try it. I have a jar, a brand new jar. Just remember, it's just a thin scraping. It's not like, it's not like Nutella where you've got to put a thick coating of Vegemite on a piece of toast or a piece of bread. It's just a thin scraping and uh, you should be good to go. Okay, I will do that. Everyone keeps saying, everyone says either eat a scoop of it or don't. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be on the safer side and not. Definitely do not eat a scoop of it. Uh, but definitely definitely make sure uh, someone makes you some fairy bread before, you, before you're done as well. I love fairy bread. I had two Australian teammates. Yeah, I had two Australian teammates and they showed me the fairy bread and I love it. I was eating back in like 2019 or 2018. I went home. I had went home and I was like, mom, you have to try this fairy bread. And I made it and she looked at me like I was crazy. She's like, why do you have sprinkles on your bread? So you've mentioned you're a foodie and you also mentioned you do a bit of hair braiding. So who who is Cappy off the court? Cappy is a goofy, funny, weird girl who likes to braid. She likes to braid. She likes to do twists. She likes to do locks. And she just gets in her own world when she's on top of someone's head. (laughs) So do you have many teammates asking you to do anything anything with their hair? Yes, I do Britt's hair, Brittany's hair sometime. Um, I've done... Um, Chris's CB. I've done his locks. Um, Blake asked me to braid his mullet, so he's next. <laughs> and I've done a couple of my teammates' braids. So, have you had to braid a mullet before? I haven't. I hadn't actually seen a mullet in real life until I came here. I was like, oh, that's what they look like. It's funny because when I first saw Blake Morrow and I saw he had a mullet. I was like, is he an import or is he a local guy that I hadn't met before? I just assumed he was Australian because he had a mullet. Me too. I was like, he's not. He's he's Australian. And then I heard him talk and I was like, no, he's not. He's American. <laughs> he fits right in. 
if it's raining. <laughs> yeah, I really hope I get to an Inner West game and see Blake with a, a braided mullet. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on Eastcott Game, Cappy. It's been a pleasure having a chat with you um, all the way from Iceland down to Bankstown. It's uh, quite a stretch of the world that you've been able to play basketball. So we're excited to see where you land next. I just wanted to say that this was really fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Eastcott Game. Remember to subscribe to our channel, share with your friends, and most of all, don't sleep on the East.